7. Churches were destroyed by the Great Fire, and some of the above were damaged and repaired. Destroyed by the Great Fire, rebuilt by Wren, is the story of most of the city churches of London. To him fell the task of rebuilding the fallen edifices. Well did he accomplish his task. He had no one to guide him, no school of artists or craftsmen to help him in the detail of his buildings, no great principles of architecture to direct him. But he triumphed over all obstacles and devised a style of his own that was well suitable for the requirements of the time and climate and for the form of worship of the English National Church. And how have we treated the buildings which his genius devised for us? Eighteen of his beautiful buildings have already been destroyed, and fourteen of these since the passing of the Union of City Benefices Act in 1860 have succumbed. With the utmost difficulty vehement attacks on others have been warded off and no one can tell how long they will remain. Here is a very sad and deplorable instance of the vanishing of English architectural treasures. While we deplore the destructive tendencies of our ancestors we have need to be ashamed of our own. We will glance at some of these deserted shrines on the sites where formerly they stood. The Ref. Gilbert Twidloroids, Rector of Houghton and Rural Dean of Stafford, records three of these in his neighborhood, and shall describe them in his own words, on the main road to Stafford. In a field at the top of Billington Hill, a little to the left of the road, there once stood a chapel. The field is still known as Chapel Hill, but not a vestige of the building survives. No doubt the foundations were grubbed up for ploughing purposes. In a state paper, describing the state of the church in staffs, in 1586, we find the following entry, Billington Chapel, reader, a husbandman, pension 16 groats, no preacher. This is under the heading of Broadley, in which parish it stood. I had made a wide search for information as to the dates of the building and destruction of this chapel. Only one solitary note has come to my knowledge. In Mazinghai's History of Castle Church he writes, Mention is made of Thomas Salt the son of Richard Salt and Selah Vance his wife as christened at Billington Chapel in 1600. Local tradition says that within the memory of the last generation stones were carved from the site to build the churchyard wall of Bradley Church. I had noticed several reused stones but perhaps if that wall were to be more closely examined or pulled down, some further history might disclose itself. Knowing that some of the stones were said to be in a garden on the opposite side of the road, I asked permission to investigate. This was most kindly granted, and I was told that there was a stone with some writing on it in a wall. No doubt we had the fragment of a gravestone, and such it proved to be. With some difficulty we got the stone out of the wall, and, being an expert in paleography, I was able to decipher the inscription. It ran as follows, Fury, died February 28, 1864. A skilled antiquary would probably pronounce it to be the headstone of a favorite dog's grave, and I am inclined to think that we have here a not informidable rival of the celebrated B.I.L. Street Hump P.S.H.I.S.M. Mark of the Picket Papers. Yet another vanished chapel, of which I have even less to tell you. On the right-hand side of the railway line running towards Stafford, a little beyond Stalbrook Crossing, there is a field known as Chapel Field, but there is nothing but the name left. From ancient documents I have learned that a chapel once stood there, known as Darrington Chapel I think in the 13th century, in Saford Parish, but served from Rantong Priory. In 1847 my father built a beautiful little church at Darrington, in the geometrical decorated style, but not on the chapel field. I cannot tell you what an immense source of satisfaction it would be to me if I could gather some further reliable information as to the history, style, and annihilation of these two vanished chapels. 
it is unspeakably sad to be forced to realize that in so many of our country parishes no records exist of things and events of surpassing interest in their histories. I take you now to where there is something a little more tangible. There stand in the park of Cresswell Hall, near Stafford, the ruins of a little 13th century chapel. I will describe what is left. I may say that some 20 years ago I made certain excavations, which showed the ground plan to be still complete. So far as I remember, we found a chamfered plinth all round the nave, with a west doorway. The chancel and nave are of the same width, the chancel measuring about 21 feet long and the nave c 33 feet. The ground now again covers much of what we found. The remains above ground are those of the chancel only. Large portions of the east and north walls remain, and a small part of the south wall. The north wall is still c 12 feet high, and contains two narrow lancets. Quite perfect. The east wall reaches c 15 feet and has a good base mold. It contains the opening, without the head, of a three-light window, with simply molded jams, and the glass line remaining. A string course under the window runs round the angle buttresses, or rather did so run, for I think the north buttress has been rebuilt, and without the string, the south buttress is complete up to two weatherings, and has two strings round it. It is a picturesque and valuable ruin, and well worth a visit. It is amusing to notice that Cresswell now calls itself a rectory, and an open-air service is held annually within its walls. It was a pre-bend of S. Mary's, Stafford, and previously a free chapel the on belonging to the lord of the manor, and it was sometimes supplied with preachers from Ranton Priory. Of the story of its destruction I can discover nothing. It is now carefully preserved and, I had heard it suggested that it might someday be rebuilt to meet the spiritual needs of its neighborhood. We pass now to the most stately and beautiful object in this neighborhood. I mean the tower of Ranton Priory Church. It is always known here as Ranton Abbey, but it has no right to the title. It was an offshoot of Hotmond Abbey, near Shrewsbury, and was a priory of black cannons, founded Temp, Henry I.I. The church has disappeared entirely, with the exception of a bit of the southwest walling of the nave and a Norman doorway in it. This may have connected the church with the domestic buildings, in Cox's collection in the Bodleian, dated 1731. There is a sketch of the church. What is shown there is a simple parallelogram, with the usual high walls, in transition Norman style with flat pilaster buttresses, two strings running round the walls, the upper one forming the dripstones of lancet windows, a corbel table supporting the eaves course, and a northeast priest's door, but whatever the church may have been and the sketch represents it as being of severe simplicity, someone built onto it a west tower of great magnificence, it is of early perpendicular date, practically uninjured, the pinnacles only being absent, though, happily, the stumps of these remain, its proportion appears to me to be absolutely perfect, and its detail so good that I think you would have to travel far to find its rival. There is a very interesting point to notice in the beautiful west doorway. It will be seen that the masonry of the lower parts of its jams is quite different from that of the upper parts, and there can, I think, be no doubt that these lower stones have been reused from a 14th century doorway of some other part of the buildings. There is a tradition that the bells of Nozal Church were taken from this tower. I can find no confirmation of this, and I cannot believe it, for the church at Nozal is of earlier date and greater magnificence than that of Ranton Priory, and was, I imagine, quite capable of having bells of its own. It would be an advantage to archaeology if everyone were such a careful and accurate observer of local antiquarian remains as the rural dean of Stafford, 
wherever we go we find similar deserted and abandoned shrines. In Derbyshire alone there are over a hundred destroyed or disused churches, of which Dr. Cox, the leading authority on the subject, has published a list. Nottinghamshire abounds in instances of the same kind. As late as 1892 the church at Colestong Bessett was deliberately turned into a ruin. There are only mounds and a few stones to show the site of the parish church of Thorpe in the Fields, which in the 17th century was actually used as a beer shop. In the fields between Elston and East Stoke is a disused church with a South Norman doorway. The old parochial chapel of Aslacton was long desecrated, and used in comparatively recent days as a beer shop. The remains of it have, happily, been reclaimed, and now serve as a mission room. East Anglia, famous for its grand churches, has to mourn over many which have been lost, many that are left roofless and ivy-clad, and some ruined indeed, though some fragment has been made secure enough for the holding of divine service. Wheeling has a roofless church with a round Norman tower. The early Norman church of St. Mary at Carbibeton has been allowed to fall into decay and for nearly 200 years has been ruinous. St. Saviour's Church, Surlingham, was pulled down at the beginning of the 18th century on the ground that one church in the village was sufficient for its spiritual wants, and its material served to mend roads. A strange reason has been given for the destruction of several of these East Anglian churches. In Norfolk there were many recusants, members of old Roman Catholic families who refused in the 16th and 17th centuries to obey the law requiring them to attend their parish church. But if their church were in ruins no service could be held, and therefore they could not be compelled to attend. Hence in many cases the churches were deliberately reduced to a ruinous state. Bothorp was one of these unfortunate churches which met its fate in the days of Queen Elizabeth. It stands in a farmyard, and the nave made an excellent barn and the steeple a dovecote. The lord of the manor was ordered to restore it at the beginning of the 17th century. This he did, and for a time it was used for divine service. Now it is deserted and roofless, and sleeps placidly girt by a surrounding wall, a lonely shrine. The church of St. Peter, Hongate, at Norwich, is of great historical interest and contains good architectural features, including a very fine roof. It was rebuilt in the 15th century by John Poston and Margaret, his wife whose letters form part of that extraordinary series of medieval correspondence which throws so much light upon the social life of the period. The church has a rudely carved record of their work outside the north door. This unhappy church has fallen into disuse, and it has been proposed to follow the example of the London citizens to unite the benefice with another and to destroy the building. Thanks to the energy and zeal of His Highness Prince Frederick de Willixen, delay in carrying out the work of destruction has been secured and we trust that his efforts to save the building will be crowned with the success they deserve. Not far from Norwich are the churches of Keswick and Intwood. Before 1600 AD the latter was deserted and desecrated, being used for a sheepfold, and the people attended service at Keswick. Then Intwood was restored to its sacred uses, and poor Keswick Church was compelled to furnish materials for its repair. Keswick remained ruinous until a few years ago when part of it was restored and used as a cemetery chapel. Ringstead has two ruined churches, St. Andrews and St. Peter's. Only the tower of the latter remains. Rowdham Church 200 years ago was a grand building, as its remains plainly testify. It had a thatched roof, which was fired by a careless thatcher, and has remained roofless to this day. Few are acquainted with the ancient hamlet of Liscombe, situated in a beautiful Dorset Valley. It now consists of only one or two houses. A little Norman church, 
and an old monastic barn. The little church is built of flint, stone, and large blocks of hard chalk, and consists of a chancel and nave divided by a transition Norman arch with massive rounded columns. There are Norman windows in the chancel, with some later work inserted. A fine niche, eight feet high, with a crocketed canopy, stood at the northeast corner of the chancel, but has disappeared. The windows of the nave and the west doorway have perished. It has been for a long time desecrated. The nave is used as a bakehouse. There is a large open grate, oven, and chimney in the center, and the chancel is a storehouse for logs. The upper part of the building has been converted into an upper story and divided into bedrooms, which have broken down ceilings. The roof is of thatch. Modern windows and a door have been inserted. It is a deplorable instance of terrible desecration. The growth of ivy unchecked has caused many a ruin. The roof of the nave and south aisle of the venerable church of Chinford, Essex, fell a few years ago entirely owing to the destructive ivy which was allowed to work its relentless will on the beams, tiles, and rafters of this ancient structure. Besides those we have mentioned there are about 60 other ruined churches in Norfolk, and in Suffolk many others, including the magnificent ruins of Cuffyathy, Flixton, Hopton, which was destroyed only 44 years ago through the burning of its thatch roof, and the Old Minster, South Elmham. Attempts have been made by the National Trust and the Society for the Protection of Ancient Buildings to save Kirkstead Chapel, near Woodalspon, Lincolnshire. It is one of the very few surviving examples of the Capella Extra Portas, which was a feature of every Cistercian Abbey, where women and other persons who were not allowed within the gates could hear Mass. The Abbey was founded in 1139, and the chapel, which is private property, is one of the finest examples of early English architecture remaining in the country. It is in a very decaying condition. The owner has been approached, and the officials of the above societies have tried to persuade him to repair it himself or to allow them to do so. But these negotiations have hitherto failed. It is very deplorable when the owners of historic buildings should act in this dog-in-the-manger fashion, and surely the time has come when the government should have power to compulsorily acquire such historic monuments when their natural protectors prove themselves to be incapable or unwilling to preserve and save them from destruction. We turn from this sorry page of willful neglect to one that records the grand achievement of modern antiquaries, the rescue and restoration of the beautiful specimen of Saxon architecture, the little chapel of St. Lawrence at Bradford-on-Avon. Until 1856 its existence was entirely unknown and the credit of its discovery was due to the Ref. Canon Jones, vicar of Bradford, that the Reformation with the dissolution of the Abbey at Shaftesbury at half past eight into a lay hands. The chancel was used as a cottage. Round its walls of their cottages arose. Perhaps part of the building was at one time used as a charnel house. As in an old deed it is called the Skull House. In 1715 the nave and porch were given to the vicar to be used as a school but no one suspected the presence of this exquisite gem of Anglo-Saxon architecture, until Canon Jones when surveying the town from the height of a neighboring hill recognized the peculiarity of the roof and thought that it might indicate the existence of a church. Thirty-seven years ago the Wiltshire antiquaries succeeded in purchasing the building. They cleared away the buildings, chimney stacks, and outhouses that had grown up around it, and revealed the whole beauties of this lovely shrine. Archaeologists have fought many battles over it as to its date. Some contend that it is the identical church which William of Malmesbury tells us St. Aldhelm built at Bradford-on-Avon about 700 AD. Others assert that it cannot be earlier than the 10th century. It was a monastic cell attached to the Abbey of Malmesbury. 
but Athelrida gave it to the abbess of Shaftesbury in 1001 as a secure retreat for her nuns if Shaftesbury should be threatened by the ravaging Danes. We need not describe the building, as it is well known. Our artist has furnished us with an admirable illustration of it, its great height, its characteristic narrow Saxon doorways, heavy plain imposts, the string courses surrounding the building, the arcades of pilasters, the carved figures of angels are some of its most important features. It is cheering to find that amid so much that has vanished we have here at Bradford a complete Saxon church that differs very little from what it was when it was first erected. Other Saxon remains are not wanting. Wilfred's crypt at Hexham, that at Ripon, Bricksworth Church, the church within the precincts of Dover Castle, the towers of Barnath, Barton upon Humber, Stowe, Earls Barton, Sompting, Stand and Lacey show considerable evidences of Saxon work. Saxon windows with their peculiar baluster shafts can be seen at Molam and Billingham, Durham, Street Andrews, Bywell, Monkwarmouth, Ovingen, Sompting, St. Mary Jr., York, Hornby, Wickhamburgs, Wave, Hold Clay, Glentworth and Clee Lincoln, Northley, Oxon, and Street Albans Abbey. Saxon arches exist at Worth, Corhampton, Escombe, Deerhurst, St. Pinay's, Cambridge, Brigstock, and Barnath. Triangular arches remain at Brigstock, Barnath, Deerhurst, Aston Turtle, Bergs. We have still some Saxon fonts at Pottern, Wilts, Little Billing, Nordhans, Edgemont and Boatnell, Shropshire, Penmont, Anglesey, and South Hailing, Haunts. Even Saxon sundials exist at Winchester, Corhampton, Bishopstone, Escombe, Aldborough, Edstone, and Kirkdale. There is also one at Daglingworth, Gloucestershire. Some hours of the Saxons' day in that village must have fled more swiftly than others, as all the radii are placed at the same angle. Even some mural paintings by Saxon artists exist at Street Mary's, Guildford, Street Martins, Canterbury, and faint traces at Britford, Headbourne, Worthing, and St. Nicholas, Ipswich, and some painted consecration crosses are believed to belong to this period. Recent investigations have revealed much Saxon work in our churches, the existence of which had before been unsuspected. Many circumstances have combined to obliterate it. The Danish wars had a disastrous effect on many churches reared in Saxon times. The Norman conquest caused many of them to be replaced by more highly finished structures, but frequently, as we study the history written in the stonework of our churches, we find beneath coatings of stucco the actual walls built by Saxon builders, and an arch here, a column there, which link our own times with the distant past. When England was divided into eight kingdoms and when Dangle was levied to buy off the marauding strangers, it is refreshing to find these specimens of early work in our churches. Since then what destruction has been wrought, what havoc done upon their fabric and furniture, that the Reformation iconoclasm raged with unpitying ferocity, everybody from the king to the church wardens, who sold church plate lest it should fall into the hands of the royal commissioners, seems to have been engaged in pillaging churches and monasteries, the plunder of chantries and guilds followed, Fuller quaintly describes this as, the last dish of the course, and after cheese nothing is to be expected but the coping stone was placed on the vast fabric of spoliation by sending commissioners to visit all the cathedrals and parish churches, and seize the superfluous plate and ornaments for the king's use. Even quite small churches possessed many treasures which the piety of many generations had bestowed upon them. There is a little village in Berkshire called Boxford, quite a small place. Here is the list of church goods which the commissioners found there. 
and which had escaped previous ravages, one chalice, a cross of copper and gilt, another cross of timber covered with brass, one cope of blue velvet embroidered with images of angles, one vestment of the same suit with an albi of lacrum, two vestments of dornex, and three other very old, two old and coarse albies of lacrum, two old copes of dornex, the eye altar cloths of linen cloth, two corporals with two cases whereof one is embroidered, two surplices, and one rochet, one Bible and the paraphrases of Erasmus in English, seven banners of lacrum and one streamer all painted, three front cloths for altars whereof one of them is with panes of white damask and black satin, and the other two of old vestments, two towels of linen, the eye candlesticks of Latin and two standardies before the high altar of Latin, a lent veil before the high altar with panes blue and white, two candlesticks of Latin and five branches, a piece, three great bells with one sans bell XX, one canopy of cloth, a covering of door for the sepulchre, two cruets of pewter, a holy water pot of Latin, a linen cloth to draw before the rood, and all the said parcels safely to be kept and preserved, and all the same and every parcel thereof to be forthcoming at all times when it shall be of them the church wardens required, a fine linen cloth made in Brittany Sif, Coriolanus, Acti I, SC, 1, a rich sort of stuff interwoven with gold and silver, made at Tournay, which was formerly called Dornick, in Flanders, an alloy of copper and zinc, large standard candlesticks, the Lent cloth, hung before the altar during Lent, a pax, this inventory of the goods of one small church enables us to judge of the wealth of our country churches before they were despoiled, of private spoliators their name was Legion, the arch spoliator was Protector Somerset, the king's uncle, Edward Seymour, formerly Earl of Hertford and then created Duke of Somerset, he ruled England for three years after King Henry's death, he was a glaring and blushing church robber, setting an example which others were only too ready to follow. Canon Overton tells how Somerset House remains as a standing memorial of his rapacity. In order to provide materials for building it he pulled down the Church of St. Mariel Strand and three bishops' houses, and was proceeding also to pull down the historical Church of St. Margaret, Westminster, but public opinion was too strong against him. The parishioners rose and beat off his workmen, and he was forced to desist and content himself with violating and plundering the precincts of street halls. Moreover, the steeple and most of the Church of St. John of Jerusalem, Smithfield, were mined and blown up with gunpowder that the materials might be utilized for the ducal mansion in the Strand. He turned Glastonbury, with all its associations dating from the earliest introduction of Christianity into our island, into a worsted manufactory, managed by French Protestants. Under his auspices the splendid College of St. Martin Grand in London was converted into a tavern, and Street Stephen's Chapel, Westminster, served the scarcely less incongruous purpose of a Parliament House. All this he did, and when his well-earned fall came the Church fared no better under his successor, John Dudley, Earl of Warwick, and afterwards Duke of Northumberland. History of the Church in England, page 401. Another wretch was Robert, Earl of Sussex to whom the king gave the choir of Alberg, in Norfolk, because it belonged to a college, being of a covetous disposition, he not only pulled down and spoiled the chancel, but also pulled out many fair marble gravestones of his ancestors with monuments of brass upon them, and other fair good pavements, and carried them and laid them for his hall, kitchen, and larder house, the church of St. Nicholas, Yarmouth, has many monumental stones, 
the brasses of which were in 1551 sent to London to be cast into weights and measures for the use of the town. The shops of the artists in brass in London were full of broken brass memorials torn from tombs. Hence arose the making of palimpsest brasses, the carvers using an old brass and on the reverse side cutting a memorial of a more recently deceased person. After all this iconoclasm, spoliation, and robbery it is surprising that anything of value should have been left in our churches, but happily some treasures escaped, and the gifts of two or three generations added others. Thus I find from the will of a good gentleman, Mr. Edward Ball, that after the spoliation of Barkham Church he left the sum of five shillings for the providing of a processional cross to be borne before the choir in that church, and I expect that he gave us our beautiful Elizabethan chalice of the date 1561. The church had scarcely recovered from its spoliation before another era of devastation and robbery ensued. During the Cromwellian period much destruction was wrought by mad zealots of the Puritan faction. One of these men and his doings are mentioned by Dr. Bervick in his Carillac and Abrigiensis, one who calls himself John it should be William Dowsing and by virtue of a pretended commission, goes about Y.E. country like a bedlam, breaking glass A windows, having battered and beaten down all our painted glasses, not only in our chapels, but contrary to order in our public schools, college halls, libraries, and chambers, mistaking, perhaps, why liberal arts for saints which they intend in time to pull down to and having against an order defaced and digged up why floors of our chapels, many of which had leaned so far two or three hundred years together, not regarding why dust of our founders and predecessors who likely were buried there, compelled us by armed soldiers to pay forty shillings a college for not mending what he had spoiled and defaced, or forthwith to go to prison. We meet with the sad doings of this wretch dousing in various places in East Anglia. He left his hideous mark on many a fair church. Thus the church wardens of Walbersbeck, in Suffolk, record in their accounts, 1644, April 8th, paid to Martin Dozon, that came with the troopers to our church about the taking down of images and brasses off stones 60-1644 paid that day to others for taking up the brasses of gravestones before the officer Dozon came 1-0. The record of the ecclesiastical exploits of William Dowsing has been preserved by the wretch himself in a diary which he kept. It was published in 1786, and the volume provides much curious reading. With reference to the Church of Toth he says, Will, Disborough Church Warden Richard B. Aisley and John Newman Constable, 27 superstitious pictures in glass and 10 other in stone, 3 brass inscriptions, pray for Y.E. Soleil's, and a cross to be taken of the steeple success, 8D, and there was divers or 8 pro animados in ye windows, and on a bell, or a pro anima sancti catherini, Trinity Parish, Cambridge, M. Prague, Church Warden. December 25th, we break down 80 popish pictures, and one of Christ and God Y.E. Father above, that Clare we break down 1,000 pictures superstitious, Kochi, there were divers pictures in the windows which we could not reach, neither would they help us to erase the ladders, 1643, Jan Y1, Edwards Parish, we did up the steps, and break down 40 pictures, and took off 10 superstitious inscriptions, it is terrible to read these records, and to imagine all the beautiful works of art that this ignorant wretch ruthlessly destroyed, to all the inscriptions on tombs containing the pious petition orate pro anima his ignorance is palpably displayed by his orate pro animados he paid special attention. Well did Mr. Cole observe concerning the last entry in Dowsing's diary, 
From this last entry we may clearly see to whom we are obliged for the dismantling of almost all the gravestones that had brasses on them, both in town and country, a sacrilegious sanctified rascal that was afraid, or too proud, to call it Street Edwards Church, but not ashamed to rob the dead of their honors and the church of its ornaments. W.C. He tells also of the dreadful deeds that were being done at Lowestoft in 1644, in the same year. Also, on the 12th of June, there came one Jessop, with a commission from the Earl of Manchester, to take away from gravestones all inscriptions on which he found or a pro animal wretched commissioner not able to read or find out that which his commission enjoined him to remove he took up in our church so much brass, as he sold to Mr. Josiah Wilde for five shillings which was afterwards contrary to my knowledge run into the little bell that hangs in the town house. There were taken up in the midlayal twelve pieces belonging to twelve generations of the Jettors. The same scenes were being enacted in many parts of England. Everywhere ignorant commissioners were rampaging about the country imitating the ignorant ferocity of the Stousing and Jessup. No wonder our churches were bare, pillaged, and ruinated. Moreover, the conception of art and the taste for architecture were dead or dying and there was no one who could replace the beautiful objects which these wretches destroyed or repair the desolation they had caused. Another era of spoliation set in in more recent times, when the restorers came with vitiated taste and the worst ideals to reconstruct and renovate our churches which time, spoliation, and carelessness had left somewhat the worse for wear. The Oxford movement taught men to bestow more care upon the houses of God in the land, to promote his honor by more reverent worship and to restore the beauty of his sanctuary. A rector found his church in a dilapidated state and talked over the matter with the squire. Although the building was in a sorry condition, with a cracked ceiling, hideous galleries, and high pews like cattle pens, it had a Norman doorway, some early English carved work in the chancel, a good perpendicular tower, and fine decorated windows. These two well-meaning but ignorant men decided that a brand new church would be a great improvement on this old tumble-down building. An architect was called in or a local builder, the plan of a new church was speedily drawn, and ere long the hammers and axes were let loose on the old church and every vestige of antiquity destroyed. The old Norman font was turned out of the church, and either used as a cattle trough or to hold a flower pot in the rectory garden. Some of the beautifully carved stones made an excellent rockery in the S.